back at the world's best Oklahoma State podcast, a Tulsa World production. I'm Mark Cooper, Oklahoma State beat writer, and I'm joined today by our columnist and former Oklahoma State beat writer, Bill Haston, here in, in the Tulsa World office uh, in downtown. Uh, we're here talking, uh, we're going to talk some OSU football today, obviously, and, and kind of go back and, and chat a little bit about Bedlam and look ahead at, at this interesting OSU-West Virginia game this weekend. Uh, and later on, we'll also get into some basketball because uh, Oklahoma State started their season and uh, maybe even more interesting to fans than their season is, is the signing day that they've had this week. And, and I was over at uh, Memorial yesterday to talk to Caleb and Keelan Boone, and so we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, but first, before we get into all that, let's go back to last Saturday night. You and I were both in Norman for that game. Uh, we were, watched the game play out uh, from the field, from the press box. Uh, both went down to, to talk to Mike Gundy and, and some of the OSU players afterward. Uh, obviously a, a, a pretty classic Bedlam game. Maybe maybe the best one that, that I've covered. I mean, we've had some really good ones the last few years, 2014, and I thought 2017 was terrific. But the drama of, of the final five minutes of this game was, right. was unbelievable. Well, this, this is your fifth season on the beach, so it's clearly – uh, now, 2014 was unforgettable, but the game itself wasn't that compelling. Yeah, it was just an unforgettable finish uh, with the second punt and the Tyreek Hill return. This was, um, even though the first half was a mess and the first combined seven possessions or something, the teams averaged 15 yards a snap, <laughs> which is an abomination. It really is. Yeah. The second half was way better played. Uh, it it was a lot like the 2017 game because that game was 38-38 at the half, and and then there was a little bit of a period in the second half where the defenses kind of caught up just a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, somewhat. I mean, on the OSU side, a less talented team, but uh, you know, just just sort of the the impressive feat. You know, it, it was last. It was the 2017 game, except for it was a a 21 point spread, and so it was a, sort of an unexpected back and forth. Right. But yeah, and the final score kind of reflected. Uh, it was a two-touchdown step back from last year, and I think that's how much better the combined quarterback play was, you know what I mean, uh, right. last season versus this season. Uh, but Kyler Murray's tremendous. I mean, what made Bedlam this week, or last week, what made this Bedlam game special was Taylor Cornelius because you knew Kyler Murray would show up and play well, and you knew that the OU run game was going to continue to function at a good level. and and. And OU offensively was going to do what it did. What you didn't know is whether Taylor Cornelius would show up. The good Taylor Cornelius or the Kansas State or Baylor Taylor Cornelius. And, and he showed up and he was the best he's ever been, I thought. I thought it was yeah. the best game. It was, I mean, that or the Texas game. Those are the two games that, that he's come out and, and shined, shined the most. Uh, you you wrote about him Saturday night and, and his performance and uh, you know I've been asked I, I did a West Virginia radio hit the other day and they were asking me about Cornelius and, and his season and uh, it's sort of unfortunate and, and you kind of knew this was going to happen when he became the starter but uh, now you're at a point ten games in he seems to be figuring it out a little bit I there were quite a few games early on in the season where uh, you know I'd be sitting up in the press box and. He'd drop back to pass, and you'd see a receiver come open down the middle of the field, and he just wouldn't see him. He'd, he'd be looking one way, and, and right. he'd miss open receivers. Not not miss him throwing it to him, just miss, you know, his vision wasn't really there. That's the one thing that I think has really changed right. for him is, is he sees the field really well right now. You remember, uh, I think KJRH, i got to give the credit where credit's due, I think Johnny Thomason of KJRH got this video early in the season. It was, where, the, it was the Texas Tech game is that right what it before Jalen McCleskey left the team. Okay, McCleskey broke free, had clear separation from a defensive back, and you could see 
clearly that Taylor Cornelius saw T McCleskey downfield and yet wound up throwing uh, dump, off, I think to Justice he, Hill. A check a down, yeah. dump, off, throw to his right in the flat. And that wouldn't happen now. I mean, no. he, he'd let it rip now. He, he, missed, he missed some open receivers in the second quarter of this game. There was that, that Landon Wolf on the wheel route that might have been a touchdown. Mm -hmm. But there weren't really many scenarios where a guy broke open and Cornelius, the timing was there. It was The timing was there pretty much the entire game. And uh, I say it's unfortunate because you're, you're sort of at a point now. Cornelius, since the bye week, has seven touchdowns and zero interceptions, zero fumbles. 12, 12 consecutive turnover free quarters, two right. of those games against teams that are ranked in the top 10. Uh, you kind of wish that he had five or six more games to play rather than two or three. Well, for his sake, I wish he had another season. I no, mean, no doubt. Uh, because, I mean, he, he paid his dues. He, he's invested at the maximum level in, in the program. Walk on, finally gets the job. Uh, and I remember opening night against Missouri State in the post game. I remember asking the question uh, of Gundy, are you concerned that Cornelius doesn't seem to trust his arm and just let it rip, you know, and just mm – -hmm. and, and, and so now he's comfortable uh, with making all the throws. Um, you know, I made a reference to uh, Taylor in my column that he doesn't have NFL arm talent. You know, he might – Actually, and I'll be interested to see. And, and you know what? Even though his his overall history at OSU is, isn't the kind of history that is going to command a lot of attention, right? But he's six six, six six, and he's eighth in the country in, in passing yards per game. I and mean, he might a, get a, he might get a combine invite. No doubt, he's the same size as a college senior that Ben Roethlisberger was. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so these. Like you say, these last two performances might have put him. Now I, I don't know. I don't know if he's good enough to be a clipboard guy, a career backup in the league, or even to make a roster. I don't know. Then again, if you look at how much better he is today versus September, who's to say he can't progress into a viable NFL, possibly uh, number two guy? Right. Maybe a starter yeah. in the right And he, he might have to do it the undrafted way because there's not enough tape on him for a no. team to want to say, let's use a draft pick. Unless on he has an unbelievable uh, January, February. Right. Unbelievable. Or in March, for that matter. But, I mean, pro day is what? First week of March, typically. Yeah. It'll be a big day for him. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of fascinated by how Oklahoma State fans and just sort of people in general are going to look back on, on Taylor Cornelius because I, th I think for the most part uh, there there are a lot of positive memories that you associate with the guys that have played the last few years, whether it was Rudolph or, or J.W. Walsh or Clint Shelf, obviously back to Whedon and Zach Robinson, uh, but Cornelius has caught more heat I think than any any of those guys in, in his time at starting quarterback and, and so uh, I don't know that these last three weeks, how much they've done to change how people are going to look back at, at this year and, and how Taylor Cornelius plays, or if it's still maybe dependent on how he finishes. And if they win you know, these last couple of games of the season, people look back at him a little bit differently. But, but what, what's, the, what's the, the, the biggest crime committed by Taylor Cornelius? He said he's not Mason Rudolph. That's it. That's it. I mean, he had the misfortune. He had yeah, probably had the good fortune of, of being around Mason and being influenced to some extent by Mason. You know what I mean? It's seeing mm -hmm. his uh, evolution from 
a pretty effective freshman to the most prolific guy they've ever had at OSU. And, uh, but that, I mean, Taylor Cornelius, that's what I'm saying. It's just, it's just too bad for him being that invested and that loyal to the program because he could have gone somewhere else and played. There's no doubt in my mind now he could have got, if he'd wanted to go to Conference USA or, or somewhere in the, in the MAC or something, if he wanted to transfer at 6'6, somebody would have given him a chance and he'd, yeah. he'd have gotten at least two seasons to start for somebody. So, Tomorrow night is, or I'm sorry, Saturday night is the his final home game, right? Mm-hmm. I'll be I'll be interested to see if if it's it's got to be. I've got to think. Well, I mean, we're right in the middle of the Bible Belt, Mark. People, for the most part, around here are sweet. <laughs> now on Twitter, maybe yeah. maybe th- th- there's some people who cut him up on Twitter, but I think when he's introduced, oh yeah, I, I think the I ovation agree. will be strong and, and heartfelt. I think I think people will really appreciate that this guy stuck around and that he played his guts out in Bedlam. Yeah. He was he was tremendous. He missed 19 throws, or he didn't complete 19 throws. I don't know how many of those you would say he missed. Maybe eight, maybe six. I don't know. But I thought he I thought he was mm-hmm. heroically good against Oklahoma the other day. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. Uh, and he's got Mark, a... the the fourth. I I challenge you to come up with a more clutch. Uh, throw than he made on fourth down to Tylen Wallace mm-hmm. in your time on the beat. I'm saying in five years, I named Mason made some clutch throws, no question. But nothing in my mind in this last five seasons uh, was a more clutch, do or die, dramatic, sensational play than that fourth down for the touchdown. Yeah, I mean there were there were a couple last season that I can remember. Remember uh, there was a massive massive third down throw against Texas Tech but but that was a lot of Marcel Aitman doing going up and getting it and and eight and there was a fourth down play against Iowa State when they won up there a year ago that was Rudolph to Aitman again uh, but you're right that's that's up there with any of them uh, especially because it was I mean it was loud you're on the road it's loud it was a fourth and seven that you got backed up because of a false false start to fourth and twelve and lucky, they got lucky. luckiest penalty of the year yeah uh, maybe of the Gundy era yeah uh, if, although there was have... one other uh, really fortunate Gundy era penalty. What was it? Uh, I should have. I should have researched that. Anyway, uh, yeah. but no, you're right. Uh, fourth and seven, you get a false start, right? Mm-hmm. And then it backs them up a little bit. Anyway, Tyler Wallace uh, needs to get a little bit of a salute on that too. I mean, yeah, he he was. You know, it's like I asked Gundy. You know, I mean, you, a lot of athletes who. On a do-or-die play like that, on the road, uh, national television, they're not going to make that play. They're just not. Well, I asked him after the game. I said, you know, because he kind of leapt in the air to make the catch and bring it into his chest. I said, when you go up, when you when you leave your feet, you know full well you're about to take a shot to the back, sure. right? And and he said, yeah, that's. I mean, part of part of the play was bringing the ball into his chest so fast mm-hmm. that the hit wasn't going to jar it loose. And, right. and he did a really good job of that. And you know what else he did a good job of? Making sure he was at least two, two and a half yards deep into the end zone. You know what I mean? Where you're mm-hmm. not right there on the on the goal line where there's no review, there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. He le- he got deep enough in there and then squared back, made the catch. I, I thought, listen, that if that throw defines Taylor Cornelius uh, as having been heroically good against OU, uh, that that play, to me, solidifies, and I'd already written about Tylen Wallace because of the big picture of his season and his numbers, but that, that play by Tylen Wallace puts him 
absolutely, un, without a doubt, on the level of the best guys they've ever had over there. Ever. If, if he, if Oklahoma State makes a bowl game, which I think we kind of figure they will at least beat well, TCU. If if this team with this talent doesn't go to a bowl, then then the coaching staff gets an F, a big F. Yeah. F if, minus. If they, if they go to a bowl and, and Tylen Wallace continues his average for the season in terms of what he's doing per game, he's he's going to finish this season uh, with about 1,660 yards, which is would be third all-time behind Blackman in 2010 and Rashawn Woods in 2002. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and if he does what he's done in the last four weeks, he's going to pass Rashawn Woods and, and finish second all-time, which is just absolutely unbelievable. Which I, just underscores, Mark, that <laughs> how critical it is to, to – with what they do next season at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. You've got an All-American receiver. Yeah. You don't blow that. You know, they've wasted Justice Hill at the tailback position this season for whatever for a variety of weird reasons. Uh, they're, they, you know, he, where is he now statistically? For the season? Yeah. His rushing yards, he's at 920, I believe. He's not at 1,000. That's unbelievable. Yards. Yeah, that he's not at 1,000 yards through 10 games. 1,000? How about 1,350? I mean, he should be... He should be creeping up on 1,500 yards. He's averaging 93 yards per game. He's averaging 15.8 carries per game, uh, which, which is down down a little bit by the five against OU, but still, even before that game, he wasn't averaging enough carries. I just thought, I, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, when I envisioned in the preseason, when I envisioned what I thought 2018 would look like for Justice Hill, I, I flashed back to – 08 Kendall Hunter and 2010 Kendall Hunter and I thought it would look a lot like that 22 carries a game mm-hmm. uh, you know a, a per carry average in the mid sixes maybe six six and a half yards mm-hmm. um, and, and I just thought it, I thought if there was one certainty in that whole program for this season it's that Justice Hill would and you know we were we were sold a bill of goods too on the offensive line yeah now that now the offensive line needs some credit for Bedlam because they played with swagger and 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 uh, they played at a level I hadn't seen this season. Right. That in that second half and they drove OU off the ball and that that was the that was the pinnacle of the offensive line's season was that sequence late in Bedlam. But you know all spring and preseason Gundy was calling his shots on the offensive line best we've had in years and by years I just draw the line at really 2013 because that's Wickline, his yeah. Wickline's final season. And um, I've got a number that'll blow your mind on Wickline then versus not Wickline this now. Is, but, this, is the, uh, this is the perfect transition out of Bedlam yeah. then and, and into to OSU West Virginia. And I was just talking to you uh, before we came on to, to record this podcast because you're going you're gonna to write about Dana Hogerson and Joe Wickline this week. And I, heard, know, I may write about them. Saturday coming out of Sunday. I don't know. I may blog it tomorrow, but uh, yeah. I am going to write about those yeah. guys. Well, I heard I, I was listening to you know the Big Twelve has a coaches conference call every Monday with with media around the country, and and I I heard you on there, and and you were asking Dana about kind of the genesis of, of his relationship with with Joe Wickline, and mm-hmm. and you know you you covered those guys, so you know better than I do. Just the fact that those two guys are complete polar opposites in terms of their personalities. Totally. I mean, Dana is is a a, a maverick guy who. Uh, like to show up for work at nine thirty or ten in the morning, where the others were all there at five thirty in the morning. You know, and and Dana was, uh, Dana was kind of a mad scientist, kind of a genius on his terms. 
He was not a manageable guy. Anybody who lives out of a hotel for a year is a mad scientist. No doubt. I'll never, I'll never forget when he admitted. It was like he had been in Stillwater. I don't know. Maybe this was toward the end of spring practice or something. But I was talking with Dana. I said, what did you end up doing for a residence? Did you rent? Did you buy? What are you doing? And he kind of was a little sheepish about it. He said, no, I'm still in the same place that I was in January. And I said, what What do you mean? And he said, at the residence end. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, but it's perfect. They make my bed every day. They got a little happy hour situation going on downstairs. <laughs> it's fine. It's good. And I thought, well, he's a single guy. I mean, what's wrong with it? Nothing's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Joe Wickline is as, as, as close to a military man as a coach as I've ever covered. I mean, he is relentlessly consistent with what he expects and the way he coaches those guys, although he coached them hard. And a guy who might have been a starter at the beginning of practice might have been on the third team by the middle of practice and then promoted back to the starting. I'm not kidding. He would. He was kind of the king of the overreaction. But uh, you can't deny the impact that Joe Wickline had. But they were so different. And, and so, but I'm thinking, okay, here's an air raid guy mm-hmm. coming in here. And at that time, OSU had led the conference in rushing in four consecutive seasons. And I said, no, wait a minute. Are you going to junk that culture? Are you going to just go away from that culture for the sake of air raiding the football 60 times a game? No. And I really thought that Wickline and Dana would go to blows. I mean, I thought they would fight in meetings. I thought they would smash chairs over each other's backs in meetings. And you know what? What what became of it was, I don't I don't pretend to know whether they have a, a, a like a personal friendship, mm-hmm. but Dana credits Joe with having completely changed the way he views the way you could integrate the run game with the air raid. Yeah, tight end, fullback, all of that. All he of said. it. All of it. And and and, and but they they were a, mar- a marriage made in heaven. I mean, they really were, from a football chemistry standpoint, they really complemented each other beautifully. And and it helped also that OSU's offensive line personnel at that time was sensational, tremendous. Maybe, maybe you know, I mean, the War Pigs in 88, they get all that credit. And they were a great offensive line. But I'm telling you, 2010, Oklahoma State was on that level. Well, I just, I just looked up, you know, this year's West Virginia team's not, not, their be- not the best running team that Dana's had there. But they're averaging 33.9 rushing attempts per game and 34.4 pass attempts per game. Bas- basically even, and uh, certain they're averaging you know, 330 yards through the air and, and less than 200 on the ground, but that's, that's some balance right there. That that's, that's exactly the kind of balance that Oklahoma State had for a long time. And I don't know what the percentage is this season with, with OSU's balance, but uh, I, I'll give you a couple of stats that kind of define uh, the Joe Wickline. Well, let, let, me, let me start with this. In 09, everybody remembers that Gundy doubled as the head guy and the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And in fairness to Mike, Des Bryant gets suspended. Zach Robinson in the second half of the season was just cut to pieces with various physical issues. And Kendall Hunter had a foot injury. He missed like nine games. So all your weaponry is either out or diminished. Everything you had diminished. in 2008 is. Everything that, everything that puts you in the top five in September was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, by October, November. Uh, so, you know, by that, you know, Bedlam that year, 0 for 14 on third down. Uh, 109 total yards. 109 
total yards. It took it took OSU uh, less than two drives on Saturday to, to cross 109. Right. Cotton Bowl uh, lost to Ole Miss, OSU, 2 of 13 on third down, 259 total yards. And then at that point, it became obvious that Mike was going to have to hire a coordinator. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he targeted Dana because Houston, with Dana, had come into Stillwater and handed OSU their first loss that season. And emphatically, I mean, they were good. Case Keenum and that, yep. that bunch of guys. It, it was so, uh, so OSU uh, in 09 was 70th in, in total offense, 99th in the country in passing. And then, so you bring in Dana Holgerson. It takes him three days to install the offense. Three days. He, that's literal. And then from that point, it's just repetition. When, when I think about how much trouble there's, there seems to have been for Oklahoma State on the defensive side of the ball, just kind of, it, it seems like it's been a year-long process to grasp the defense. When, right. When you say three days, that's that's unbelievable. You know, he told me that, and I said I just laughed and thought, well, that's a funny line. He said, no, I'm serious it's so simple it's a three-day installation and then it's just repetition like crazy well and in fairness to Gundy too and in and and to help define the Holgerson one season Holgerson arrives at the same time that Whedon obviously was going to be promoted to the starting quarterback job and then Blackman had an unbelievable spring and then Kendall Hunter's back and he's healthy so then you've got the best Probably the best trio of quarterback, running back, receiver in the history of the program. Mm-hmm. Right then, uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. But I mean, I, it, I guess I guess Barry Sanders was so good that he just makes the. Well, with all due respect to Mike Gundy as a quarterback, right. I mean, Whedon, you know, Whedon's the best quarterback they ever had over there. Yeah. He just is. But so, with in that one season mark with with uh, Holgerson, after having been 70th in offense and 99th in passing. The year before, OSU was, uh, they averaged 44 points a game. They were third nationally in total offense, second in passing, and ran the football beautifully. And so the Wickline uh, uh, Holgerson marriage was fantastic. But, you know, it, you know I, I think I drew the line at post. With Wickline, the final five seasons, his final five seasons at Oklahoma State, they gave up 59 sacks. And then in the five seasons since Wickline left, they've given up 157. That's, that's, that's so jarring. The, well, it is jarring. And, you know, I mean, they took a step back on some personnel, and I guess Joe himself is to blame for some of that because his last couple of classes weren't mm-hmm. great. They, did, they, they didn't pan out. But I'm just saying, the way I, I've, I have started writing whatever it is I'm going to end up writing about these two guys. But I, I refer to them in the lead paragraph as being the two most impactful of all the Gundy assistants. And you're, you're going to be a little bit of a uh, – oh, you're not going to Morgantown next week, are you? I was no. going to say you're going to be a little bit of a, a West Virginia reporter for two no, weeks. No, no, I've I'm, I'm just I've got the Oklahoma State-West uh, Virginia game this week, which is – you know, I was talking to Sp- Steve Spavital just moments ago before we started yeah. this, who is the father of Jake. Jake might be a head coach this time he next He could year. be, uh, who is the coordinator at, at, at West Virginia. And we were talking about Broken Arrow, actually, but we segued into, you know, OSU West Virginia. And he said, "Uh, what do you expect from OSU Saturday? And I said, there's no way to know what to expect. And he said, it's the same with West Virginia. He said, these are two teams that are massively talented. I don't know about massively. I'd I'd argue West Virginia has been a lot more consistent than Oklahoma State. No, that's right. But but he says, he – Coach Spavitol said that 
Coach Steve Spavital said he he said that they're both teams though that that can um, show up and, and perform at the highest level or really lay an egg. Mm-hmm. I and mean, there's a great range of possibilities for these teams. So that makes this game uh, it's the final home game. You know, I wrote the column before the boy I think before the Boise game or before I can't remember. But but just that OSU, you know, which is it lost a lot of home games the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. That they owed the fan base a special performance. And I guess it was Boise and they had a special performance, they won the game. I think you're right back to that. They know they owe their fans a special performance. They need to uh they need to get bowl eligible and they need yep. to do it at home mm-hmm. on senior day. Uh and and you know, hopefully for uh Cornelius' sake is he actually instead of there being a bedlam hangover, he takes momentum into this game yeah. and lights it up and, and is comfortable on that home field. And, and I could, if, I, you know, we didn't talk about the two-point play. We can if you want. Not the decision, right? but the play. Yeah. I mean, I, we – I didn't like it. The, the, the more the, I think about it, the more I watch it over and over. And over. The uh, – yeah, we, and we can do this this sort of briefly because it's probably been talked about to well, death. But but I, I think the one thing, uh, I mean, it was it was there. If, if Mark, Cornelius you're wearing a headset right, right now. If you were wearing a headset in the press box that day, and it's your play call, what do you call? Well, you heard what I asked Mike Gundy after the game, which was they had three plays inside the two yard line against Oklahoma on Saturday before the two point conversion, and they just lined up in the I formation and punched it in three all three times. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I don't know why. You don't go. You don't go back to that and go. Here, here's two tight ends and a fullback and, and a running back and you know, maybe maybe it's J D King in that scenario because you say just muscle your way into the end zone and right. uh, you know I kind of would think he'd stick with what works and that's probably a scenario where the coaching staff practices a two point play all week and it's at the top of their sheet and so uh, it's probably a lot easier for them to stick with what they believed in all week rather than making a, a snap decision at the end. I would I would have uh, I would have sold. Uh, tried to sell some sort of RPO. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I would want Oklahoma to think that Cornelius is is motioning uh, to his right or left or whatever with the intent of throwing it, but I not but not for long, and want him to tuck it and go run. Like like Will Greer against Texas, yeah. Ran, ran oh, in. well, but Greer ran all the way to yeah. the corner. Yeah, I think. Cornelius could cut it up just off the ta- edge of the tackle box, and then and then at the, at six six he could fall into the end zone. So I just thought it was a really hard throw. I think that's a hard throw for Drew Brees. I know it's a hard yeah. throw for Taylor Cornelius. You could argue, but he was open, and he was. But still, you're not throwing to a squared up target. You're throwing to a guy. You're throwing to where he's going to be, and you're throwing to where his hands are going to be. It's a hard throw. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of ways to look at it. I in the immediate aftermath, I kind of questioned. You ran a play where there's there's one option. If if Tylen Wallace is covered up and he, and he wasn't, what's, t- his what's other option is, is tuck it and try to get into the end zone because there's nobody else that he can really look to to throw the ball to. On that I just play. know that I remember how how effectively he was used. Uh, Cornelius, I mean, running it against Texas and against Boise, and I I thought that's the route. That's what yeah. I was, and they hadn't done much of that during. On Saturday, so I'm I'm interested in the other side of the ball in this game because Oklahoma State's coming off a game against OU where you kind of felt in the second half, even though they lose that game, that their defense played pretty well. They kept Kyler Murray contained uh, more than most teams can do. But now they're play, now they're now they're playing a, a West Virginia team that 
Will Greer's worst game of the last two seasons was was against OSU in Morgantown last year. He yep. was 20 of 42 passing, four interceptions, had a couple touchdowns, but Oklahoma State was really in control of that game and, and scored 50 points on them. And so I think uh, West Virginia's, since they lost that game to Iowa State, they're averaging 49 points a game. Greer's averaging 350 yards a game. They've kind of, that, that loss has sort of woke them up into to being pretty focused these last three weeks. So before we... Uh, uh Talk about the Boone Twins. Yeah, who wins Saturday? I'm I'm picking West Virginia. How are you? This this feels like a spot where OSU is going to come out and play really well. I just I I buy into the revenge factor in West Virginia. I think if if they were probably to go over every single game on their schedule last season, this is one of those games that Will Greer probably thinks I got to come out and, and make a statement here. Right. And and he's at a point now where he's played so well the last few weeks that. I, I kind of expect him to be sitting next to, to Tua and to Kyler Murray in New York in, right. in December, and so uh, yeah, this, the throw at is, Texas was kind of a Heisman moment. This is it? a, but this is a big one too. It's an ABC game. This mm-hmm. is another chance for him to sort of put his stamp on it. And so, even though you might think that this is a little bit of a trap with with OU six days from from kickoff, I I sort of think that the way the way OSU handed West Virginia a defeat in Morgantown last season. I, I think West Virginia is going to come into Stillwater with revenge on their minds, and uh, I could almost see it playing out very similarly to Bedlam in that both teams come out and, and play really well and, and score up a whole bunch of points, but West Virginia finds a way to win a game like you know, 45, 42 or something like well, that. Well, West Virginia is still at least on the fringe of the highest ultimate goal in college football, getting yeah. the tournament, and um, whereas OSU's fighting for bowl eligibility, maybe – the one motivation trumps the other a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, West Virginia's a couple upsets. They're a Notre Dame Michi- and Michigan losing, and, and then they go out and beat OU in a week, and then I guess I guess presumably beat OU a second week in a row. And, uh, yeah, they're, they've got a chance to sneak in there fourth. And, uh, yeah, so, so I, I don't know. I, I think both teams have reasons to be motivated. I don't know. You said it. You don't know what to expect with this Oklahoma State team. I have no idea what to expect with this OSU team coming off a one-point loss in Bedlam. Are, are they going to be so heartbroken that they don't have the energy to muster up another performance like that against the top-ten team? I don't know. I mean, team? Uh, I, I just think I think the fourth quarter was so positive or that final possession. I, I don't know. I think, weirdly enough, there could be – there's the heart – Heart, heartbreak side of it, but there's also the realization that right. when we do execute, we're really good. Yeah, and yeah. and maybe we can maybe we can put together most of a game of this. Yeah, so it's a big platform for Wallace. It's it's Cornelius's final home game. I mean, I, I just I think it's a uh, you know I mean selfishly I'm glad it's not a night kick a night kickoff because of our deadlines obviously, but. Uh, I, I, and you know I'll be interested to see how the uh, what the attendance looks like, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's it has the potential to be like Bedlam last week, tremendous college football entertainment. But did the OSU people get their hearts ripped out, and a lot of them decide I'm done with this team this year? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. To, to pivot to basketball here briefly before good before work we get out pivot. Here. Yeah, pivot to basketball. Clever. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State won their first game of the season last night, eighty-two to sixty over UTSA. Uh, looked a lot better than they did in their season opening loss to Charlotte. 
but now things sort of get tough for them because uh, their next few games are against teams that either made the NCAA tournament a year ago or, or seem like they could this year. They got Charleston this weekend, uh, a team that won 51 games over the last two years combined. Then they go to Orlando where they start with the game against Penny Hardaway's Memphis team. And if you win that one, you're going to play Villanova. And so the next few weeks are really difficult. Uh, they play Minnesota, they play Houston, they play Nebraska, they play Tulsa. Not any gimmies on the schedule. Um, but, I mean, if, you're, if you've been practicing, if you've been practicing since uh, – September, late September. Yeah, aren't you ready to play good people? You, you would think so. The one thing that this team's got to got to get figured out is they're not complete. Uh, you know, Mike Cunningham was the graduate transfer point guard they brought in, and kind of expected to be what Kendall Smith could have been a, was a year ago, you know, sort of that steady presence. He hasn't played yet because he's got a hamstring injury, and and so they've been playing a freshman point guard a lot of minutes. Mike Mike Boynton said last night more minutes, you know, thirty a game than than they anticipated. Uh, I think Michael Weathers got in for the final three minutes of last night's game, and so you're going to see him slowly work back in. And How did you describe his one bucket? Emphatic. Emphatic. <laughs> it, it, it's a good word, too. I, I don't think uh, I ever pictured Michael Weathers' first points at, at Oklahoma State being a dunk off a, a Trey Reeves assist, but, but that that happened. Uh, but I think I think as he gets back into the fold, I think he's their, probably the, maybe their most talented offensive player. He's the one guy uh, that I look at in practice and say, uh, when OSU gets out to, you know, they fell behind 9 nothing to use TSA uh, last last night, he's a guy you can hand the ball to and say, create your own shot. They don't have many of those guys, but but he's somebody who might be able to go get a bucket. The good news for OSU is I think they're, they've got a few of those guys in, in their 2019 class who, who they're really excited about. You know, it's the number 13 class in the country right now. Uh, the fourth member of the class, Marcus Watson, who's the highest-ranked guy in the class, will sign Friday night. The other three did on Wednesday. Uh, and that includes the Boone twins, Caleb and, and Keelan Boone, who uh, feels like they've been committed to Oklahoma State for forever at this point. Yeah, and it's only been since April, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when they did their, their little announcement. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember um, watching them or watching Memorial when they were sophomores, and they got minimal minutes, and you know they didn't play much, and Keelan got a start somebody was sick or something and they, and they played like at Hera or at Tuttle or it was a tournament game maybe somewhere in Oklahoma City against Hera or Tuttle or somebody and so they had to play Keelan um, and he had like 20 points on like <laughs> seven of nine shooting yeah. and you know what I mean and and so I was hearing because I have a, a friendship with Memorial coach Bobby Allison, and we talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And and he he was he was telling me even during that season, keep an eye on these twins. And I'm thinking, well, that's just a proud coach bragging about his kids. But but you know, as juniors, before their junior season, I mean, they had bunches of recruiters coming in to look at them. Now they were more mid level type schools, right. smaller schools. But Mike Boynton got in kind of on the ground floor in regard to, you know, FBS, FBS or in regard to major college, Power Five uh, programs. Mike Boynton was the first, really the first of the Power Five schools to really uh, start with a relationship on the Boons. Well, they have a great junior season, both of them statistically, and, and win a state championship. And then they have a great summer after the commitment in April. I just think. Uh, and, and I watched them play in a uh, midsummer pickup game uh, 
that involved some some guys like Caleb Green, former ORU star, who's played forever in mm-hmm. Europe, and, and Evie Ra, former ORU, uh, former OU player, who who was one of the great high school players in the history of this town, and so the Boone Twins are out there with with a bunch of grown men, and with some other younger guys too, and it just the 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 way Keelan has evolved is pretty amazing. I mean, he he's more of a, a perimeter guy, mm-hmm. but. I don't know what his actual height is. Is he six, six eight now? Six six. Is he? Oh, really? They're yeah. they're saying he's six six. Now? I, I asked him yesterday because he's listed at six foot six, and I said, "Are you six foot six? Is that accurate?" And he said, "That's about right." Well, you know, it's funny that he so he shrunk an inch since <laughs> last year because they they routinely referred to the twins as six nine and six seven. Yeah. So, in reality, if Keelan's six seven, uh, six six, and Caleb's about six seven and a half. Yeah. I think Caleb, he's listed now at 6'8". So. Okay, well, Caleb, had just for anybody who hasn't seen the Boone Twins, Caleb has an uncanny knack for blocking shots and altering shots. Great length, great timing. Uh, more of a post player now, but is developing, uh, as I saw during the summer, uh, into a more complete player. He, he initiated the break on several occasions. Well, you know, it's yeah. interesting because I asked both of them yesterday, has Mike Boynton asked told you how he wants to play you has what's his vision for how he wants to use you and and Keelan said you know he wants him to be a wing a slasher uh, he said Boynton's talked to him a lot about Keelan being sort of their shut down defender and putting a lot of emphasis on with his length he mm-hmm. can be their their guy to throw on the best player on the opposing team and Caleb said Boynton wants him to be a four uh, which means that one thing that he wants to focus on this year is being better on the wing and, mm-hmm. and from the top of the key in different places like that. And so it's interesting that you said you've started to see that take form because he said that's the one part of his game that he feels like he needs to get better in order to contribute right away in college. Uh, Caleb, even even in the summer, what did I say we were going to do this podcast in 20 minutes? <laughs> uh, we're at 38 now. Uh, Caleb, even, you know, I watched him in a summer game. I didn't get to see any of their, <clears throat> of their AAU stuff because it's out of state. But, but I, like, a, a really competitive, interesting summer game here in town against Owasso. And Caleb was making threes. <clears throat> he was running the break. He was finding teammates. So Caleb's game has evolved tremendously from where it was a year ago. And Keelan uh, is a guy who can knock down a three, uh, who can actually – something else I saw from him in the summer was – uh, the willingness to bounce the ball once or twice into an uncontested 12-foot shot. The mid-range game is a dinosaur, but yet Keelan is developing that. And with his length, that's a lot of uncontested shots. So I, I just thought that uh, getting two Tulsa kids, these are the best Tulsa kids OSU has signed in a long time, and to get a couple of Oklahoma guys, twin brothers, the the twin brother aspect of it makes it a cool story too. Right. Um and you know it's not like <clears throat> it's not like it may, maybe there was a little bit of this in the beginning where Caleb was the more sought after guy and Keelan was kind of the an additional piece and the, but they wanted to go as a package they wanted to go together uh, but Keelan's a very legitimate guy now and, and a very usable viable potentially tremendous uh, piece for Oklahoma State so yeah. this was a big deal to get these twins. Yeah, I mean, you said it's they're the best guys that Oklahoma State's gotten out of Tulsa in a long time. They're the only ones, really. I mean, they signed Mitchell Solomon five years ago, 2014. Right. That's the last kid out of Tulsa. 
I don't know who. Oh, I can tell you. It's Richard Dumas. Yeah. These are the best Tulsa kids yeah. they've signed since Richard Dumas 30 years ago. But I'm saying in the last decade prior to their signing, they hadn't uh, – really signed anybody other other than Mitch Solomon out of, out of Bixby right uh you know you can you can go you got to go back probably to the Sutton era to the last time they had signed anybody from Tulsa right well I'm just saying I mean, in, in, no matter how you turn it there's value in the signing of these of these guys because if they've <clears throat> if they've evolved the way they have now they got to get bigger and stronger no doubt you saw them you see them all the time I mean they're they're both really super slender kids uh, and they will they'll get bigger I mean once they get to a college training table and hit those weights. I mean, they'll they'll look a lot different uh, 18 months from now than they do today. But Before Solomon, I, I just figured it out. Any guesses on, on who the last player prior to Solomon was from, from the Tulsa area? From the Tulsa area or Tulsa, Oklahoma? Uh, he's from Jenks, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, of course, the Dorcas. Yeah, 2007. Yeah. Uh, so you have to go back before that wow. to find the last person okay. from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Nick it's, been a, it's been a long time. Was he Nick also? Yes. Okay, so his dad's Nick as well. In fact, his dad is the uh, general manager of Southern Hills Country Club. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, no, I, I love the Boons. I'm going to go watch them play tonight. They open against Webster tonight. and uh, But uh, Coach Allison thinks the world of them as coachable guys. And, you know, you just love the potential. That kind of length. And already in high school, a lot of a lot of longer, taller kids in high school are back to the basket guys with real limited skill set who right. develop. These guys have already gotten a head start on the development into becoming more complete players, and I think they're. I think it was a great signing for Mike Boynton. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be a, a busy weekend in Stillwater. Bill and I will both be in the stadium on Saturday for Oklahoma State, West Virginia. What's the forecast? Uh, decent. It's going to be decent. It's not cool, going to be as cold decent. as it's been the last couple right. of days. Uh, and then uh, on Sunday, I'll be over there again Sunday afternoon to watch them play uh, Charleston in, in what should be a little bit of a test for this team. So there'll be plenty of coverage to uh, look for on TulsaWorld.com. And uh, we'll be back here next week uh, to talk a little bit about OSU heading into their, their season finale against TCU uh, and uh, you know, sort of preview for Oklahoma State basketball what, what's an interesting little tournament because they've got Villanova, Florida State, Memphis all in, in their little tournament in Orlando perhaps a couple tough games there as well. Uh, for Bill, I'm Mark Cooper. Thank you for listening, and, and this was the world's best Oklahoma State podcast.